We're going to be uh, continuing our sermon series in the Gospel of Luke. So if you have your paper version of the Bible or the YouVersion Bible app, I, inv I invite you to uh, follow along. It's Luke chapter 7. We're going to be starting in verse 11 today. If you are following along on the app, remember you can always click the More tab, then the Events page, and find us, Hillside Missionary Church, in today's service. Luke chapter 7. Seven. Up until this point, uh, we have seen Jesus' public ministry, and uh, he is really getting a following, and we see that he has a great crowd with him today. Take a look here in Luke chapter 7. This is what it said. Soon afterward, he uh, went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Don't weep. Then he came up and touched the bear, and the bear stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. The dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear sees them all, and they glorify God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole Judea and all the surrounding country. We're going to talk about uh, this story, what this uh, story means, and uh, how it affects our lives. Before we do that, though, as always, let's just go uh, to God uh, in prayer. Ask him to soften our hearts to whatever it is that he has, because we believe that his word is true. It's perfect. It's authoritative, meaning what it says goes over our lives. And so if there's something that this uh, passage of scripture has for us and that we need to change, we want to be open to that. We want to be open to God's leading, to the Holy Spirit. And so uh, we, uh, we just want to go before God and ask Him for His help with that. Pray with me. Jesus, we just thank you so much that we have your word, that it's good, it's perfect, that's authoritative over our lives. And Jesus, as we talk about this, as we talk about uh, all the details going on and uh, how it affects our lives today, Jesus, I pray that you would soften our hearts to whatever it is that you have for us that we would be in a deeper relationship after we leave this place than when we came in. God, if there's something that in our lives that we need to change, I pray that you would give us the strength and the wisdom and the perseverance to do that. If there's something in our lives that we need to eliminate, Jesus, I pray that you would give us the same things to do that, that we would be less and less like us and more and more like you. We want to be transformed. Help us to do that today. And it's in your precious life-saving name we pray. Amen. They say that the worst thing that you can go through, the most traumatic event that you can go through in life, at least one of them, is the premature loss of a child. That this is one of the most difficult things that a person can go through. And it's out of the natural order, right? As hard as bearing parents and grandparents can be, the loss of a child, it's out of order. Right, We know that eventually as we age, the chances of our parents and our grandparents dying increases. And more than likely, someday we will bury them. But the premature loss of a child, they say, is one of the most traumatic events that you can go through. In fact, a 2010 study about bereavement changes so that the heart is less effective to pump blood. And so uh, someone can even uh, die due to a broken heart. Colin Murray Parks, she's a British psychiatrist and author, she goes so far to conclude that up to a third of breed parents will suffer detrimental effects on their physical or mental health, or even both. 
In fact, a 2008 study proves that bereaved parents reported more depressive symptoms and health problems, poor well-being, and were more likely to have experienced a depressive episode and marital disruptions even 10, or I'm sorry, 18 years after their child's death than those who did not lose a child. It's one of the most difficult things that you can go through. And as, a, as a father, I could not imagine losing a child. Why do I bring this up? Well, first of all, I want to say, if you have gone through that, if you have gone through the premature death of a child, and this is painful for you to hear, first of all, I want to say that I'm sorry, and I don't bring this up willy-nilly. In fact, uh, I really debated whether I should read that study or not. But I think what that does is it helps us to get into the position of this woman that we're reading about here in Luke chapter 7. You see, this woman, this is at the absolute bottom of the barrel uh, part of her life. We find out that this is not her, uh, this is not just a son that she has, it's her only son. And this is not the only funeral that she's been to recently as well. We find out that she's actually a widow. And so not only has she lost her husband, but compounded on that trauma is the loss of her child. It's the deepest, the darkest place that she's likely ever been. And this is uh, just back then, it's not like you can call Social Security office. It's not like you have life insurance to rely on. I mean, she has nothing. Back then, it's extremely difficult for women to provide for themselves, to go get a job. And so without her son, this lady is toast. I mean, she, she has no way of providing for herself at all. It says that here in Luke chapter 7, that there's a great crowd that went with Jesus, which is good news because Jesus is just around the corner from this woman. And that there's a considerable crowd with her. So I want to get you into the picture of what is happening here, into the scene. Because funerals today look a lot differently than they did back then. You know, funerals today, the most expression that you're going to see is something like this. So sorry. Can I give you a hug? Right? Like, I mean, it's very reserved. It's very quiet. We tend to hold back tears, right? If you see someone crying, it's more likely than this. You know, I mean, you try to hold it back, right, until you're in private. Back then, it is not like that. Back then, I mean, people literally would get hired to wail, all right? There are literal wailers around them. I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm sorry for you online. You're not going to be able to hear this. Ramsey, can you turn off my microphone? I know. needed a little bit of a laugh after. It was a hard intro, right? I mean, that's just difficult to hear about. But I mean, that is literally what you're heading into in a funeral. And so as you think, I mean, literally thousands of people around this woman, thousands of people around Jesus, and all you're hearing are wailers. I'll shield your ears. I won't do that again. But like, I mean, this is, this is what you're heading into. And Jesus, he encounters this woman in all of this chaos, in all of the crowds, in all of this. He says, that's where I want to be. At the bottom of this lady's life, that's where I want to be. It says this in verse 13, that when the Lord saw her, when Jesus saw this woman, he had compassion on her. There's a handful of verses that we have that uh, Jesus in his ministry looks at someone and has compassion on them. 
And I find it really interesting in this one, it says, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Now, if you remember at the beginning of this sermon series, we found out that Luke actually was not around in Jesus's ministry. He's hearing this secondhand. He is getting eyewitness accounts. He's compiling them. He's obviously led by the Holy Spirit to do this and to compile them in a certain way. And I want to just uh, like get you in Luke's, like in Luke's uh, uh, circumstance here. He's like interviewing someone. Okay, so tell me about this instance about when Jesus like saw this uh, kid at Nain and he had died and he went up to the widow and raised his, her son from the dead. And like people would literally say he had compassion on her. What does it look like for someone to have compassion on someone? What does it look like for Jesus to go up and actually have compassion? Because it's not like you can say he gave her a hug. It's not like you can say he wrote her a heartfelt card and that showed his compassion. No, it says that he had compassion. So people literally around him saw the compassion that Jesus had on her. What does it look like for God to have compassion on her? What does it look like for God to have compassion on us? Because so many times we look at God and we think about God and we go, okay, God's a big meanie pants in the sky and he's going to spite me if I sin. And so I better not do that and I better not do that. And oftentimes we don't think of the loving grace and mercy and compassion that Jesus has on every single one of us. So what does it look like for Jesus to have compassion on this woman? I want to show you three things that it looks like for Jesus to have compassion. The first thing I want to point out is here in verse 11. Right at the beginning of the story, it says that Jesus went to this town called Nain. All right, so Nain is, uh, first of all, does that sound familiar to you guys? You remember that from other Bible stories? Anybody? No, we don't. Actually, this is the only place in all of Scripture that Nain is mentioned. The only place, it is in the middle of nowhere. Like Nazareth, where Jesus is from, that's that's like nowhere. That's like out there in the country. This is even further, all right? Many towns were around the Sea of Galilee. They needed water. It's an arid climate. And so they were around the Sea of Galilee. This is where Jesus does much of his ministry. This is way outside of that. So if like Chicago is like the Sea of Galilee area and like Nazareth is like South Bend, Nain is like going to like Wakarusa or Bremen, right? I mean, it's like out there. It's a little town. You can have like a dinner, right? There's like a restaurant, like, but I mean, like you can't really do much any other than that. Like it's just out there and it's just a little village. That's name. It is out there. In other words, there's no reason for Jesus to go there. It says that he came around this Capernaum is around that region of the Sea of Galilee. Further on, we see that he goes to other populated areas, but name like it's out of the way. It's on no major highway. It's on no major pathway. Like it's out of the way for Jesus. But Jesus goes there, I believe, to encounter this woman, to seek her out, because he knows that she is at the bottom, absolute darkest place of her life after losing her one and only son. So what do we find out? How does Jesus have compassion on each and every one of us? Well, he shows us that he has compassion to us by seeking us out. Just as he sought this woman out, that he went out of his way, as scripture says that he left the 99 to find the one sheep that had wandered. This is that same idea that Jesus is seeking out this woman here. That Jesus knows this woman's situation and he says, that's where I want to be. That's exactly where I want to be. And in our deepest, darkest place, Jesus says, I still love you. 
After you've sinned and after you feel like you're about a million miles from God, Jesus says, I still want to seek you out. I still want to have a relationship with you. 1 John 4.19 puts it like this. We love because he first loved us. In other words, everything that we do is in response to what God has already done to us and for us. We do not come to God on our own volition. Rather, it is the Holy Spirit leading each and every one of us that draws us into a relationship with God. He seeks us out. We don't seek him. He seeks us out. And he does that directly. He doesn't do it just in a broad way to say, hey, I am seeking out all of mankind. He does that, but he also does it individually. He says, Bill, I'm seeking you out. Jerry, I'm seeking you out. Carolyn, I'm seeking you out. He says, I'm seeking you out personally because I want a relationship with you. And oftentimes, he will take these broken parts of our lives, right? Like these dark, dark, dark times in our lives. And he'll say, I want a relationship with you. I want that relationship with you. Take a look at what happens next. It says, we read this earlier, that when Jesus saw, saw her, he had compassion on her. And he says this to her. I find this fascinating. He says, do not weep. Did you catch that? In other words, he's going to this lady at the deepest, darkest part of her life. He's walking up to her. Thousands of people, right? Screaming, wailing. Again, I'll shield your ears from that. But he walks up to her and he goes, hey, stop crying. Uh, I don't know about you, but um, if uh, me as a pastor, if I went up to a uh, widow who uh, was, uh, you know, just lost her son. She already lost her husband. I said, I don't know why you're crying. Stop crying. My guess is I'd probably have a black eye, right? Like, I mean, this is not something that you should probably say. In fact, in counseling classes, they would tell you, never do that. Never say, stop crying, right? That you need to acknowledge people's emotions, right? And yet Jesus says, stop crying. He does this because he has the power to raise her son from the dead. So if you have that power, awesome. You can tell her not to cry. If not, I would suggest not doing that. But also he goes one step further and then it says he came up. So he's going through this crowd. There's thousands of people here. He's coming up and he's touching the dead body. It says that the bears stood still. Now, in order to understand this, we got to understand a little bit of cultural references here. When a Jewish person were to touch a, 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 dead, a dead body, that Jewish person would now be considered unclean. And so now you have to go through all of the ceremonial uh, cleansing rituals. Jesus, he oftentimes will do this. He will go uh, through this uncleanliness. He'll go uh, past these cultural things to show people his love and his compassion and his grace and his mercy towards them. He didn't have to touch this, this young man. He didn't have to say, don't cry to the woman. He could have, from a half mile away, been standing on a hill and said, um, that lady over there, okay, yeah, she's having a rough time. Wow, that, oh, man, that, that's awful. Um, uh, uh, you know what? Hey, I'm going to raise your son from the dead. Hey, go ahead and get up, arise. He could have done that, right? He doesn't do that. Instead, whoop, I almost wiped out there. Instead, he comes up to her and he says, hey, I care for you. Stop crying. And he touches her son. What does Jesus do? Not only is he seeking her out, but he's also encountering her personally. 
It's not this like offset God who um, we pray to and we go through these rituals and we kneel and we stand and we wave our arms a certain way. No, no, no. He says, I want this relationship with you, which means I'm encountering you personally. Many of us think of God as this impersonable uh, God that we have to follow the rules and stay in line and go to church to get blessed and uh, that'll be fine, right? But scripture talks about God as a personal God. Jeremiah 1.5 puts it like this, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Psalm 139 puts it like this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down. You are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all together. God knows you better than you know yourself. And he's not a God who is impersonable, who is far away from us. He's a God who encounters us personally. He's a God who wants to have a relationship with us. And so many times sin draws us away from God and we can feel really, really distant from God. And we can think, oh man, I can't go to God. I, I, you know, I'm, I just feel super far away from him and I just don't feel like he even would want a relationship with me. I want to encourage you. Look at Romans 2.4 with me. It says, or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that, look at this, God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Many times the way that God will love us and show us compassion and extend that personable relationship with each and every one of us is through his kindness. It's through his forgiveness. It's through his mercy. It's through his grace. It's through him saying, hey, I know you've messed up. I know you've sinned. I know you're super far away from me right now, but my son Jesus has paid it all so that you don't have to be any longer. And I forgive you about all those things. He encounters us personally. One more thing I want to point out to you before we close today. Look at the last verse with me, verse 15. It says, the dead man sat up and began to to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. I want you to think about this. Um, if he's been dead, he's likely been dead about a day or two. Typically, they would have the funeral either the same day or the next day that um, someone died. They didn't have uh, all the preparations and things like that that we have today to kind of extend things a little bit. Um, but I, I think it'd be fair to say that this guy's probably been dead roughly about 24 hours. I want you to think about a long sleep that you've had. Even maybe it was this morning. Maybe you slept really good last night and you woke up is the first thing that you do, you wake up and start talking. Because for me, this is how I wake up, and Tammy could verify this, I'm sure. But I wake up like this. My alarm's going up. It's not a pretty sight. So, yeah, you know, but like, I mean, typically you don't just start talking, right? And if you do, it's like... What? Right? Like, I mean, it's not a pretty sight here. And yet he just sits up and he starts talking. And I can only imagine like what this guy is saying. Like, dude, you're never going to believe this dream that I had. I was with God. Right? Like, I mean, this like crazy thing just happened to me. And he just starts talking. So Jesus, he not only just says, all right, you know, um, your son will be good. Just like uh, put him in bed. Um, Maybe put a warm rag on his forehead. Um, you'll put a fan in his room, you know, kind of wake him up a little bit, right? No, he wakes up right there. 
Jesus not only heals him in the future, he heals him now. He heals him completely. And Jesus shows up compassion to each and every one of us by healing our impossible situations, those deep, dark situations in our life completely. Now, it may not be how we think that he's going to heal us, but when we come to him and we say, God, I, I need this situation healed, we can be sure that we serve a good God who is making the right decision in whatever that he does and that he's healing that completely. Take a look at what Ephesians chapter 3 says. It says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we could ever ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. God can do more than you could ever ask or you could ever think. And so many times, just like we talked about last week, we box God in a corner. We box God in a corner and we say, you know, if it, you, that's what I would like to happen, but it's probably not going to happen. So um, I'll just keep going on with my life and I'll just kind of forget about it. Jesus heals us completely. Completely. So let me ask you a question. What impossible situation, what deep, dark situation are you facing today? Maybe it's a marriage and you're saying, man, I, my marriage is toast. It has been for years um, and it's, it's just not getting better. Maybe it's a relationship that you have with uh, an adult child and you're saying, man, it's, I messed up as a parent and they've kind of just done their own thing and I just, I don't feel like I'm ever going to have a good relationship with that child. Maybe it's your finances and you're saying, man, I have really blown it. I messed up. And you're on the verge of bankruptcy. What impossible situation are you facing today? Jesus says, I want to encounter you personally. I want to seek you out and I want to heal your situation. I want you to think about this for just a moment. We started uh, this message by talking about the trauma that is involved with the loss of a child. I want you to think about this just for a moment. God made humanity knowing that we would sin. He knows everything. He knew that that would happen. And he knew that the only cure for sin is the sacrifice of his one and only son. What Jesus does to this young man foreshadows what he will do for each and every one of us. Foreshadows the sacrifice that God is willing to have. God said, I will go through one of the worst, most traumatic pains that anyone could ever go through because I love you. Because I love you so much, I am willing to go through the pain. I am willing to give up my one and only son to have a relationship with you. God willingly does that. He willingly gave his son up. And not only a normal death, but a horrific, torturous death. I don't know about you, but it's hard to see one of your kids cry, isn't it? I mean, just like uh, they have a splinter and you're like upset, right? And you're like, oh, let me help you. Like, could you imagine the pain that God felt as his one and only son? has nails pounded through his hands and his feet, is made fun of and has a thorn of crowns on his head so that drips of blood are coming down on his head. 
you imagine the amount of pain that God the Father felt when he saw his one and only son go through that? And yet he did that for you. And he did that for me. He did that for us because he knew that he wanted a relationship with us. And he said, it's worth it. It's worth it to have the relationship with you. Think about that pain that Jesus went through. God endured that for you. God endured that for me. And he says, through that, I can now seek you out. Through that, I can now have a personable relationship with you. And by doing so, heal your situation. may not be the way that we want it healed by, but it is the best way. God says, one day there will be no more crying. There will be no more tears. And you'll live with me forever. And we live with that hope of eternity. And in response, what we can do now is glorify God with everything that we've got. Even when we face an impossible situation, just like this woman faced with her dead son. We glorify God and we say, I know that you want a relationship with me. That you've already done the work on the cross. You've already paid the price. And so Jesus, I worship you with everything I've got. That's how we repay God. We can never fully repay him. But we say, Jesus, in response to what you've already done for us, we worship you with everything that we've got. Let's be those type of people that worship Jesus with everything that we've got because God endured the pain of giving us his one and only son. Pray with me. Jesus, we thank you. Thank you for giving your life on the cross for us. God, thanks for enduring that pain. We know that you are a good, good father. And we thank you for the pain that you endured by sending your one and only son to die on our behalf. And so Jesus, in response, we give our lives to you because we know that you're seeking us all out, that you want to have that personable relationship with us and you want to heal whatever possible situation is going on in our lives. Jesus, help us to glorify you with everything that we have in response to that. To say, Jesus, we, re we realize and we recognize what you've done for each and every one of us. And we want to live our lives in a way that glorifies you with everything that we've got. Help us to do that. Help us to be the moms and the dads and the daughters and the sons and the employees and the neighbors that show everyone your love, that glorify you in everything. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.